When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast. Today, we are going to have an amazing time together. We're going to talk about the power of the mind to overcome extreme challenges. And in the studio with me today, I have an incredible guest, good friend, Rusty Labaskachny, who's a very good friend of a very good friend of mine. And I'm so excited that you're here with me today, Rusty. This is, you have such a great story that I'm not even going to say anything. I'm going to let you just launch because what you have to say is unbelievable and very freeing. And I know it really is going to show that we can use our mind to overcome some of life's most extreme challenges that most people won't go through. Thank you. you people can relate. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you. So, Caroline, I wanted to start off by just saying, that I'm a fourth generation Zimbabwean from a cattle ranching background. I'm also Zimbabwean. So. Hello. <laughs> Hello. There Badly. you go. Proudly Zimbabwean. Um, and I grew up uh, 200 kilometers away from any city uh, and was sent to boarding school uh, at the age of six years old. And in those days, it was harsh uh, in the way that uh, you were only allowed to see your parents once every three months. Wow. Even if they went to town, you weren't allowed to see them. It was the, the mindset that it'll upset the children. Mm. So at half term, you went home. Mm-hmm. And throughout the rest of the three months, you didn't see your parents. So I was brought up by bullying masters and teachers mm-hmm. and and angry. And then at 12 years old, when I was just leaving that boarding school, I lost my dad. And it's something that I'll never get over. If I had to um, explain to people the worst, the worst thing that could ever happen to me, even with the experience that I went through, it was losing my dad. Yeah, it changed my whole life. My, uh, I've got uh, three siblings. So it left my mom and us four kids with nothing. I mean, we, we had enough money to get by, but we grew up struggling. And then the war started in Rhodesia in uh, when I was 12. So... Up until the end of my schooling, it was during the whole war. And why I bring that up is that I was crazy about sport. And I was a big rugby player, ended up playing for my country. Um, and it was wild. When you're brought up during a, uh, in a war environment, there's a lot of roughness and partying and, and wildness. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you that for my Christian faith. Because I, when I was 19, uh, just towards the end of the war, I got lost in the bush in the middle of nowhere. Ooh. I was alone. All I had was a rifle, no shirt, no shoes. Wow. And I was running off after some baboons. Uh, they were vermin at that time and mm-hmm. uh, we were having a lot of problems with them. And after two hours, I left in the morning at seven on the way to dip some cattle about 40 k's from anywhere mm-hmm. with my uncle. And about one k from the dip crawl, uh, I took off after the baboons and I said to him I'll I'll follow you and I'll see you just now and I ran off after two hours I was completely lost wow that's scary at three o'clock that afternoon I found a a water pan I had no water I hadn't had anything to drink drink or eat the whole day and I found a pan with a dead giraffe in it that had died um, a few months before and there was the only water that I could drink and I remember scraping the muck off and drinking that and just remembering how disgusting it was but I was 
We had yeah, to. I was, yeah, I was desperate. By half past five that evening, it started getting dark and I had no idea. And the terrain I was in was really real hilly uh, copies, like metopus. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I climbed a few copies and I, and I looked around and it was just copies everywhere. I couldn't identify anything. And I had no idea where I was. Mm-hmm. And I was young and didn't really pay attention to the direction of the sun and whatever. So I remember climbing the highest copy I could find. looked around for a mountain called Mount Tala, where I knew it's sort of from there. And I couldn't see anything. And I'm pointing this out because it's the last thing uh, I figured in those wild days um, was to say a prayer to God to help me. And I figured then in those days that those people that went to church needed help. I'm okay. Now I can get through all the stuff. So on that mountain, I got on my knees and I prayed. And I'll never forget the feeling of like warm water being poured over me and a total sense of calmness and, and the shock of it all. I had no idea what was going on. And I stood up and I turned around and walked like being guided down that mountain with 300 feet, a solid dweller. And where the soil, where the dweller entered the soil, about 10 meters from there, were some old car tri tracks where my uncle had shot a kudu the season before. And I followed those and found, found where he cut, cut the road in there to an old fence line, followed that fence line for two, three k's, and then got to the road where all the work, farm workers were waiting for me at my sundown. Goodness. So <clears throat> that was the first experience of my faith. And I was still too scared to tell anyone because that's not what we did in those wild days yeah um and then when i left school um i had nothing and my mom was battling with us Mm -hmm. four children i started in a trade but i was playing rugby for zimbabwe at that time so i was in town but i'm a bushman i'm from the i'm from the bush so i hated what i was doing but i loved the rugby and then um i started my own business i went into the safari industry and i had this huge desire of conservation trying to make a difference of the wildlife that had been shot out over the years on all the private land mainly. And over those decades, my business grew. I had five safari camps that I was running. I ended up buying a 40,000 acre ranch with 820 head of cattle, all borrowed money. So I I took huge chances and I was wildly ambitious and I worked like a machine and I had a great bunch of guys working for me. And then I flew my own aircraft, so I was really doing well. And then I had a fishing resort on Lake Kariba. Beautiful there. Um, Yeah. That's beautiful, eh? And life couldn't have been better. Sadly, I did. I got divorced in 96. Um, that was a struggle, but we got over that. And then in December 2000, at my fishing resort, um, I had a dispute with a fishing cooperative, about 60, 70 guys, that kept on netting fish in a breeding area um, oh, that the, the resort was in. Um, and my, uh, I had uh, guys there that, I, that were doing anti-poaching, removing the nets. But whenever I arrived, I escalated that. So they would see me fly in and knew that I was coming in yes. and then they knew that it was going to be, going to be a, a on a big anti-poaching uh, campaign there. So there was conflict between me personally, because my manager wouldn't get involved, and the cooperative. And then I took a group of nine guys fishing, and seven of them were bream fishing on the riverside. Mm-hmm. And I, a mate of mine, went out and tiger fished on the lake. Mm-hmm. And on our way back, we saw two fish poachers that I knew um, well as notorious. Yes. And I drove my boat towards them to scare them off. It was about two and a half hours to the closest police station. It was half past five in the evening. So by the time I took them in and came back, it would have been 10 at night. So yeah. I thought, let me just chase them to scare them off. So I drove my boat towards them and the wake of my boat tilted their boat, causing them to jump out into the water. But they were about three meters from the shore and the water was about one and a half meters deep. And they soon scrambled to dry land and, and ran off into the bush and we thought nothing more of it. Yeah. 
But it was December 2000, so the land invasion chaos was all in a while. Yeah, yeah. so the injustice was everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, There were even white farmers being killed, you know, Mm -hmm. for nothing. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. So uh, the following day, the police arrived and accused us of drowning one of those poachers. And then it got very political. So Mm -hmm. now the whole cooperative got behind it, and there were marches at the, because they they detained my my co accused and I at the Binga police station until bail pending trial. And there were marches there. Big banners, two, three hundred people, white skilled black, they must hang. It got on oh, every paper. Got yeah, it, mm, got it got very political, yeah. But I got bail pending appeal. I was assured by the lawyers that it won't get to trial. Don't worry about it. Mm. But we did thorough homework on everything. And to cut a long story short, against police evidence, without a body and non presumptions, I was convicted of drowning that poacher. Oh my gosh. And sentenced to 15 years in Zimbabwe's prison. Oh. No. Of which five were suspended. That's and, horrific. <clears throat> yeah, it was. It was. It was beyond... Uh, Words. Yeah. And I want to give you an idea of, mm. of my first day in prison. So not only the humiliation of being somebody in society that had started with nothing... Was very ...had successful. became somebody. I was donating to charities, old age homes and orphanages on you a regular basis. I was contributing in every way. I had 54 families under me that worked for me. That were getting that, living Absolutely. Under you. And then when you led out of the high court in handcuffs and leg irons... For your first time oh my goodness on main street during rush hour as somebody in society it is unbelievably humiliating and then there was a prison truck with steps about three feet off the ground and there was one step in between so I'm in, in leg irons and handcuffed and there are two rails, one on either side of the door. So you can't hold both rails. You can yeah. only hold one because your hands are hand- or cuffed. And you have to leapfrog onto the step, but you're off balance because the rail is on one side. And I kept on falling and the guards couldn't stop laughing at me. Then they had the whole, a big crowd there laughing at me while I'm trying to jump onto the truck. That was the first bit of humiliation. Then we got to the prison, 28K is out of town, and they register you, then they remove your handcuffs and leg irons, and they walk you to the maximum security wall. It's a 20-foot wide wall with huge wooden doors leading into it, and you're made to strip naked at the door. No, that's not, this is that, nightmarish. Yeah. This is like nightmarish. So you walk in there stark naked and there were a thousand guys in there and I was the only white guy and the fear that you feel when you walk in like that is inexplainable incomprehensible yeah and then then I walked in and crouched down in front of four gods and they questioned me about where I was from my family my business my crime and, and, and everything and finally issued me a standard white short leaf shirt and a pair of drawstring white shorts for the first eight years only one set of clothing is allowed at any one time. Underwear was forbidden. They led me up to my cell. The building was was like a tennis court size um, rectangular block, three stories high, in the middle of a of a rugby field size exercise yard that is enclosed. It's a twenty foot wide wall around it. So they led me up to the top floor. The top floor had six large cells. They were thirteen meters, thirteen yards by three yards we were 78 guys in there oh my goodness so everybody had 33 centimeters which is about 14 inches size of a ruler (laughs) yeah just a little more that was just space marked out on the walls in chalk there's no furniture whatsoever in any prison there's no beds no tables no chairs no cupboards nothing just rows of filthy folded blankets and hundreds of well-used water bottles on bare concrete floors it's like a like a newly built hotel 
with no furniture. Except it wasn't anything so, like a hotel. No, nothing. And it was built in 1956. One second, Rusty. Yeah. You've got written a book. And what really struck me when I was looking through your book is you did you draw those pictures? I did. Because that, that when you were describing that, I was that picture okay. came to mind of these things of you walking into the prison. Okay, and, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, the little, as you described, where you were sleeping and everything. I was and sleep. So it's profound. I mean, I, I strongly recommend that this book is something you get your hands on because, and you'll see in our show notes that we're going to put the details of the book and how to get the book. And there's a DVD as well. Yeah. That yeah. you can hear the story because what Rusty's overcome, and here he's sitting smiling, happy. You wouldn't <laughs> even think this was a real, I mean, it's what you've gone through and the power of the mind. So I'm really excited to hear how you've managed this because obviously you've used your mind to deal with this extreme terror. Yeah. Literally that you've, and, and unfairness. So I'll explain to you, I'll explain to you the horrors that I experienced and then the life lessons I learned from that, from the power of my mind. Excellent. And that's the only way I got through that. Excellent. And, and the and the Lord. This is really so, important. Yeah, absolutely. And that kept me positive the whole time. And I think that positivity is is a huge, and in listening to you this morning, I could relate to everything you were saying because the power of positive thinking is just unbelievable. Exactly. And without that, um, when you're in there and you think about anything negative, like my fiance with another man or the guys on a fishing trip, you feel it well, inside. Kids, because you've got two they, children. Yeah, and all my kids, the hurt yeah. that they're going through. So when I thought about my fiance going to tell my children, that I'm now going to be in prison for 10 years. You know, we can withstand a lot, That's but right. the hurt that you inflict on others hurts us more than exactly. that. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's like someone stabbing you, isn't it? It's, it's Absolutely. Um, so whenever I thought about, you see, there's no radios, TVs or anything in our prison. Do you know what was going on around you? So, well? yeah. So when you think about those negative things, you feel the pain mm-hmm. in your tummy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works, but yes, you, you well, probably know Yes, your body responds to your yeah. thoughts, your thoughts control, so you relive because it's a trauma and it's your reality, so that's in you. So activates what's already in you and your whole body embodies every cell of your body embodies every experience okay so when you think of your kids and you think of the pain and you, you physically re-experience it so but what's that like pain in your tummy when you think about that that's a physical reaction of your body to your mind so all that memory in your that you've gone through is a physical memory in your brain yeah and then it's also embodied in your in your physical cells and whatever state you're in at them at that time that it was happening so yeah. leaving your children you would, would have been in a terrible state of shock everything that you've described so far the yeah. Fairness, the timing, getting trying to get in the prison truck, the arriving at the door naked, leaving your mm. fiance. Each of those would have been memories, toxic, totally traumatic that had literally caused damage in your brain and your body, and would have um, you embodied that in your in your body. So as you, in another few hours later or a few days later, you mm. think back of that that moment and how your body felt at that moment reactivates. So you okay. re-experience. So okay. you, that's why it's a physical thing. It actually comes alive again. It's there because okay. it hasn't gone away. That's how powerful okay. it is. It's inside of you, and that's basically. PTSD, post-traumatic stress. So so something that I picked up from your talk today was when I thought of those negative things um, and the pain they were causing me mm-hmm. and and the and the, the how they were changing my character. So normally I'm lively and vivacious, you know, I'm just a happy guy, a charismatic mm-hmm. guy. And those things were changing me. So I thought of different things. So I had this fantasy girlfriend called Cherie, and I'd fly all over the world and catch Marlin in Mexico, and I lived this wonderful world. I created this beautiful world I could go into to get away from it all and That's detach myself amazing. from that pain, that reality that, that I was living. Wow. You used your mind, the non-physical part of you, which is the majority of 
of you, your 90 to 99 percent. Yeah. You use that to actually overcome the physical one percent that you were living in and created a whole show. You really experienced the power of the mind and the mind brain yeah. connection. But what I couldn't, what shocked me the most was even though it was reality, it worked. It, it worked. didn't your have mind to be real. Okay. I had, you know, I made it all up. And that's you where lived I lived. There. I lived in, in another world. Incredible. And, and I got through like that. That's yeah. incredible. So for 10, and you did that for 10 years. For 10 years, yeah. And another thing I'd love the, the listeners to, to know is the power of hope. Yes. If I didn't, if someone had told me, in, I was convicted on, in April 2003, if you had told me you're going to spend eight months here, I would have said never. Can't I'm going it. home. No, no, no. You're not going to last a night. <laughs> no. Well, I could say next week. Yes. I would live with that. But anything beyond that was too painful. Yeah. Like I said, the pain. The guts in your pain, your body And reacted. just blocked it out. There is, I didn't want to think about it. I'm going home now, now. Whether it was going to happen, not going to happen, That's what I'm going home. Was. That was the story. And that, that was the only thing that I could, that wasn't painful to think about. You could, but, and that's an expectation mindset. So once again, you used your non-physical, spiritual part of you, which yeah. is the 90 to 99%, and you used that to control your brain and your body, and you activated the frontal lobe of your brain, and you created a new reality in your head. You built new structures in your head of a life that you actually imagine. But when you imagine, you're actually creating realities, and you literally lived in that reality, which then helped the current physical situation, which was intolerable, to become tolerable. So that's you, and you created hope is expectation. So you okay. created an expectation mindset, and when you do that, your neurotransmitters change, your your body um, releases all kinds of of dif- different responses, and okay. also genetic switches switch on that increase your resilience. You know, and okay. so that's what you were experiencing. I mean, we talk about these things, but to hear someone who's done it to the extent you've done it is powerful. <laughs> I mean, this is real stuff. We can do this yeah. with the little and the big stuff, intolerable stuff, because what you've got, what you're describing is intolerable. Yeah. Horrific. So let me explain a little bit more of the horrors yes, that please. I had to go through. Go ahead. So we were packed like sardines with legs all crossing over the middle because the cell was three yards wide, three meters wide. And obviously everyone is taller than one and a half meters. So all your legs crossed over in the middle and you all faced the same direction. When you turned over, you all turned over together. And as cushioning against the cold concrete floor, it was freezing. Um, you folded two of your paper thin, worn out, last ridden blankets. Oh several times to fit your 33 centimeters or 14 inches and then covered yourself with the third one and then your clothes were wrapped around your toothbrush and toothpaste or that gets stolen and that was your pillow and as cushioned from sleeping on those freezing hard floors my hips had bruised black rings for years and shoulders still give trouble today. Goodness. So that was the one horror. The, the next yeah. ones um, were the lice. Mm. Now, I bring that up because I never knew what lice were. I ne- I've never mm. had lice in my life. I've never seen any. When you go in there, they're everywhere. They're in your clothes, in your hair, in your blankets, on the walls. They're everywhere. And they never go away. And they bite you day and night, year after training year. Oh, no. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can spend hours killing them, and we all did. But it doesn't change anything. So that was, I think that was the most um, difficult thing to deal with. Very distressing. With the yeah, because mm. um, it was just so far from what, you from what I'm used to. You know, we, we all love to live in that comfort zone. Yes. And when pushed so far out of it and you have to find solutions to, and you dig so deep to get through there, you learn and you grow. Yeah. You, you learn things others never have to. And as long as you can take the good from that and yeah. leave the horrors behind, uh, I think you can come out a better person. And, and when I say done. that, I think of how much, you just think of how much you've learned in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Huge amount. So every day when you listen to people, you, you're learning the whole Something. time. Mm-hmm. When you have 10 years taken away of no learning, you leave a huge void in there. Mm. But you learn 
if you want else. to, you learn things others never never will n- learn. Yeah, will never learn. So you get another kind of yeah in the real deep down how we can get through uh, and and you can attach yourself to your your mind to your body a whole lot clearer. I think we get so caught up in the rat race, we, we all get we tangled up in. We forget all about who we are. Yeah, we, we, you forget how to read your body. And I think if we listen to our mind, uh, our bodies more, we can be a lot more healthier people. Now we're speaking, really speaking the same language, because what you really are describing is the mind-body connection that you've gained that experience in the 10 years of, of the trials that you've, this hugely horrific trial that you went through. But yes. it's so true because your body has discomfort zones. Okay. And those discomfort zones are there to tell you how to be aware of your spirit spiritual level and how to connect back and go beyond yeah. just being aware of the physical and, you, and I think you really hit something very relevant in that in today's age we get so caught up in the physical that we forget all about the real meaning yeah. I'm sure you look at life differently I'm sure you look at the the uh, sort of almost the very capitalistic and very physically oriented society and think I'm sure it must be quite hard for you sometimes to even look at how people live or the things that they maybe complain about that yeah. they haven't like <laughs> don't even how do you stay calm I mean it's a slight diversion but how do you deal with that Okay. What you've experienced, because you've experienced a depth that, as you say, in those ten years, that most people are not going to get to. Well, the one there's so many things I want to I want to tell you, but um, one of them is that I never let uh, I never allowed myself to be affected by that situation or the people that were trying to break me. But when you go in there, you're flying high, full of confidence, lots of money, and you go in there and they crush you. They crush in your confidence. Instant. They crush your spirit. They everything. dehumanize you. Absolutely. You you're not allowed to talk to a god at his level. So when you talk to God, you have to crash down on your knees and you talk up to him as a, as okay. a sign of respect. And it's all to break you. Yeah. But I always said to myself, I'll never lo- I'll never give you my mind. You can have my body because sometimes they make me polish their shoes and then roll over and they just dehumanize you. They dehumanize you. And the whole time I just said to myself, you'll never take my mind. That's mine. And wow. never, ever let it go away in my head. And, and I never forget that at the time I, I would say it over and over. You'll, ne- you'll never be what I am. You can make me do what you want, but you'll never change who I am. I'm still me in my head. That's incredible. Yeah. That's an incredible life lesson is that no one can take your mind. Yeah. No one can take your ability to think and feel and choose and no one can take that unless you give it up. Unless you let them. Exactly. And even yeah. even then they can distort it because you never really leave your mind, let go of your mind, but you can let you can let people in to something that they don't have privy to. But Absolutely. you didn't do that. Yeah. Which yeah. is how you basically were coping with everything. Another thing I wanted to mention is when you taken out of society like that and you look at your life wrenched out of society yeah you look at your life from a very different perspective mm. in mistakes I made money I wasted opportunities I lost people I neglected so I see life from a very different perspective wow. now and life is about your journey and the people in it not your assets and wealth alone Which, and before that's prison, meaningfulness it was all about me and my empire and, and me 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 and now it's about making a difference it's like I found a purpose now you've got purpose and meaning and, yeah, but but it's so much deeper in me, and and I wish I could explain your humanity, to- your humanity, which is what we designed to be. You know, if you look at the design of the the human brain and the body, yeah. it's all for meaningful love, making yeah. a difference in community, entangled with others, and taking your life story and turning that around to actually create more meaning in other people's lives, and that's what you're doing. Okay. So you've okay. seen that yeah, you've seen it. the transformation in your own life, and it's I mean it's incredible. That yeah. You've, so incredible. In the past, what gave me a rush was. 
this um, breaking a new deal and, and making lots of money. And now it's making a difference and changing people's lives. And the feedback I get That's beautiful. from people is a whole lot more richer for me than all the money I ever made before. It's a totally different yeah. perspective. Completely different. And it's hard to explain that, but it That's just That's the true meaning me. of success. What you are really now is you really are successful now. Yeah. Before you had a level of success, but now you have meaningful success. Absolutely. And, I, and I'd like to say, and I heard you saying this morning, that's happiness right. leads to success. Yes. So, so you're if not you're to, happy, yeah. you will end up being successful. Yes. You're not going to Don't think, think that you've got to be that, successful you, to be happy. To be That's happy. the wrong way around. It's the wrong way around. You've got to find yourself that internal yeah. identity So many people say, if I only had a million dollars, I'll be happy. Well, if you only had They're this, only had, yeah. Completely. I had it and I wasn't happy. Now I've got nothing and I'm happy. They literally have put their mind into that prison that you were in. Absolutely. That your body was in that prison, but your mind wasn't in that prison. Yeah. And people chase after the wrong level of success. Absolutely. They put their mind in that prison. Yeah. And then the other thing is resilience. So, mm. so many people have said to me, you're the only one that could have got through that because I haven't even begun to tell you more of the horrors. And I want to say, yes, I was tough, but I believe you can become resilient. You can train your mind to be resilient. And I want people not to have that block because when you... When you put there and you have to do it, you do it. It's amazing what yeah. you will do. Yeah. And we have this block where, oh, no, I can't do that. I'll never get there. I'll never and then go there and do it. There's, go there and do it, you'll do yeah. it. Mm. Because we've got this blind vision where we can't reach different places. And, you know, they say you grow and when you put yourself beyond what you know. And it's true. When you have to get through it, you do. You live you in the moment. the and, challenge. And that's something I've taken from prison is, is living in the moment. So the past was too painful and the future full of unkept promises. And now I live for today. I live in the moment and I make the best of every day. And, and now is where the present and the past reside anyway, because you're talking about your past and you're determining your future by your expectation that you've now created with exactly. your new reality. So we don't have to get bound. That's not our destiny. So you've turned, you've transformed, you've reconceptualized what you've experienced into the successful pattern of your future. Yeah, I love Literally. that. So let me go on to a little bit more of the horrors. Yes, tell, tell <clears> some more. So we had one set of clothing at any one time and there were no basins or taps in the cells. So we had to wash our clothes in the cell toilets at night wearing a blanket then hang them on the walls with smuggled book staples to dry by the next morning. And what I what I want to say to you is imagine the clothes you're wearing, the clothes you're wearing now no. for six months without a change. We only got clothes changed every six months. They take the new one, they, they give you new ones and take the older ones away. And the reason why they did that, because some of the guys would sell their new clothes for cigarettes and keep the older one. Okay. So I was in a completely different environment to any reality. That you'd ever experienced. Yeah, that it was so far out of what I was used to. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. But imagine wearing the clothes you're wearing now for six months without a change. And then in an effort to retain your dignity, having to wash them in the Willie's toilet. toilet. It oh, was just, the just, humiliation was beyond just, comprehension. I don't even know how to visualize or yeah it. it was it was something else eh? when you and the the stench of everything i mean it never goes away do you still find that that's comes back do you still you know what is amazing and i'm getting i'm going okay, to get to the forgiveness side but okay. when you forgive properly it's amazing how you sever that i never think of that it doesn't bother me that's gone and i have no connection whatsoever to what happened i've Brilliant. learned that it's too painful and i've cut it it's gone that's very good you've done a very scientific thing in that you've actually disentangled you've literally physically cut an invisible but it's actually a real tie to yeah. your oppressors yeah and you've actually disentangled so that that isn't no that no longer is the painful alive 
dynamic memory of the pain and the smell and whatever. Yeah. You've actually reconceptualized that. You've and the amazing, severed, you've literally severed in the in the, the quantum world. The amazing thing is that I can I can talk about it in detail, but there's no emotion. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't hurt me in any way. And people say, but don't aren't you reliving it? No, I'm not reliving it. So I'm that means you, you heal because that and you you know obviously always in a process of healing because someone who's not healed from a this kind of trauma, yeah. they can't talk about it without breaking down. You're talking okay. about this, you have a smile on your face, you have a piece <laughs> about you that is unreal. Because I won. Look, exactly, you won. <laughs> you won and you saw something that is an absolute gift that I hope people are picking this up, that this is an absolute, um, it's in all of us. What you've yeah. experienced yeah. is in all of us, this incredible power of the, that God has given us in our mind, that love, power and sound mind, power, yeah. mind. We have yeah. a power mind and you've actually lived that experience that you've taken some of the worst experiences and you haven't even heard, you know, yeah. you need to get this book because in the book you will, <laughs> I'm looking at you to get this book, you wrote it. You need to get this book because in this book you will hear the rest of, of Rusty's story and, 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 and we're going to tell, have a little bit more time to tell a few more things but in yeah. this book you're going to see these kind of things that you can't imagine and yes we all got, have our own story but to overcome odds of this nature and to be able to sever that tie to forgiveness because that's what forgiveness is doing it's released you it's freed you to yeah. reconceptualize I keep saying that word mm-hmm. and reconceptualization means that you haven't forgotten because you're still telling you have yeah. the memory yeah. of everything still but the pain of the memory has been changed. So it's shifted from toxic yeah. to something that is your um, part of your character. It's part of your suffering. It's part of your story. And you've transformed that. And, you know, that's the whole traditional turning the trial into the test for you. But you've done that. Okay. You've actually done that. And it's changed your brain. It's changed the wiring of your brain. You've rewired your brain. You've rewired your body. Mm-hmm. So you can talk about this without falling apart, which yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah. Nice and I find that the more I talk about it, the more therapeutic it is, the easier Very it is for good. me. That's and excellent. It's amazing how that is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a release because you're releasing each time you're probably getting a little bit more information. So there's maybe a little bit more of a memory coming. And then as you're doing it, because you have a formula now, you, you've trained yourself to take whatever's toxic. Yeah. And because it's too painful, you've transformed that into, you know, when I was talking, you saw me with the green trees on the yeah. one side and the toxic trees on the other side. Yeah. You've taken something that's toxic and you've literally popped those branches off and transformed it. But there's so much you went through. Yeah. So over time, as you're talking, you are releasing the neuropeptides in your brain and you're changing the quantum energy and you're identifying more little branches and transforming those and adding another green branch healthy whatever if that makes sense yeah yeah it does and when you were talking about and I learned this the hard way so when you were talking I could I relived so many things like you said something happened where just say someone hit the curb and driving and he he cut the corner and hit the curb yes instead of being angry with what happened in the curb you learn from it I won't drive near the curb again exactly so you learn from you take the positive from the incident, not the negative. Exactly. You didn't fail. You just basically learned something. I learned new. something. Yeah. yeah. So what I went through, um, I learned something others could never learn because they've never been there. So exactly. many people say, you need to see a psychiatrist. And, and, and I'd say to them, no psychiatrist has ever been there. They exactly. have no idea. And why should you see a psychiatrist? You, you're one of the most stable people. You've actually <laughs> you've done the transformation. You're your own best therapist along with God and along with the loving support of your family. Yeah. Which is yeah. what research actually shows is the best way to heal from any kind of trauma is the love. Of, of your people you trust in your life and that connection to God to love I always yeah. call God Godness loveness because it's so hugely incompre- incomprehensibly wonderful yeah 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 
So I'll tell you one of the other horrors that we had. In, in 2005, Harare City ran out of water. So for three years, while in Chikarubi Maximum Security Ooh, Prison, every prisoner was allocated one plastic cup of water a day. And that was one cup of dirty orange city runoff water from a nearby dam carried by farm prisoners. That was to drink, clean your teeth, wash your face, bath, everything for three years. It was oh unbelievable. My gosh. I mean, so I have uh, kidney issues now from going so long without drinking enough water. And clean water. Yeah. But during my first six years, it was during the Zim dollar crash. And I think mm. the whole world is aware of what happened in Zimbabwe in that Time. From 2003 to 2009, in those six years, I watched over 2,200 people die in prison from no food. Whoa. They had taken the farm. There was no food outside of prison, never mind in the, in the prison. What what sort of, to give people an idea, what were you eating? What were you living on in that We had food? grits, you call it in America, they call it grits. grits. We call it sadza. Uh, in South Africa, they call it pup. Yeah. It's um, corn. In, corn, a, in um, like a sort of powdery like, yeah. cereal um, type. We thing. had that and boiled cabbage or sugar beans. That was it. There was no dairy, there was no, no fruit, no there was protein. no veg, no protein, nothing. No tea, coffee, none of that stuff from the prison. So in 2000... And quantity, sorry to interrupt you, but quite, I want people to get this. That quantity-wise, like tiny little bits. Uh, in the beginning, we had two meals a day. Mm-hmm. And then from 2004, it was one meal a day. And then in June 2006, because of the death rate, her, the prison headquarters started allowing relatives to deliver food to their loved ones daily. So... How many... Sorry to interrupt you. How many prisoners were there because you said 2000 okay they were in the first prison so I was in Kami maximum security mm-hmm. for one year that's where we were 78 in one cell mm-hmm. then my incarceration got very political and there was a judge that was incarcerated and I was actually caught in the middle of a conflict between the president and that judge and unless I was guilty the judge couldn't be convicted so I was convicted and he was convicted and then before sentencing he absconded to New Zealand oh my gosh so it got very political your total yeah. political pawn yeah, so it was, it was hard, very, very hard to mm. to mentally get through something when you're innocent and you put in a prison like that. And mm. the questions, you know, why me? What have I ever done? Are these people feeling the pain I'm feeling? You know, I just thought, well, maybe I'm different. Are these, am I, is this yeah. just some wild world that I've been chucked into? Am I going to fly out of here? You know, to, just... This is real even. Yeah. Even and then I thought, I always told my children, everything happens for a good reason or for a reason. So I thought, well, maybe I'm being protected in here. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, farmers being killed and everything mm-hmm. so I thought well maybe I was just going in the wrong direction mm-hmm. and then what gave me the most um, um, like healing was that I was being put there for a purpose that one day meaningfulness once yeah, again and, purpose. and I think that was the only thing that I could live with mm-hmm. I had to believe that because everything else was too painful there's so many people that survived things like the concentration camps in Nazi yeah. Germany that's one of the things that they said as well was that purpose that's what okay. kept people going yeah. and so linked in with identity and the recognition of no one can get my mind okay. yeah, so you've linked mind with purpose and yeah. it's identity okay. you know that's you actually did that and so you've yeah. shown again that the resist the resilience of humanity yeah. yeah and then in that first year before i go to chikarubi it was after about a year and i was full of hatred bitterness mm. revenge mm. anger for what they'd done and were doing to me I hated them, but they, and, and uh, I would lie there for hours wishing every terrible thing on each of them in turn, the poacher, the police, the judge, the ministry, and all who were involved in my conviction. Yeah. And after about a year, I was struck by the realization that they had all forgotten about me long ago. Here I was, consumed by the unfairness of it all, and they blissfully unaware of the evil I watched on them every day. Mm. And in the end, I learned that I was only hurting myself.
myself. Wow. I was carrying all that in my head and beating myself up for nothing. And destroying your body. The single biggest lesson I learned in prison was true forgiveness. Wow. True forgiveness. Wow. Deep down to wow. sever everything. And I now know what Nelson Mandela meant by that. Yes. You know, you have to be pushed that deep down to realize that if you hang on to anything like that, you're not going to get through that. And only when you let it go, can you make can you make your way through. And, wow. um, and for me, it was bigger than anything I could have achieved on my own. True forgiveness for me was inspired by God Almighty. And so was letting go. It was a huge weight up my shoulders. And people say, was it, how long did it take? That anger and resentment and bitterness was, was there, there, there. And then one day walking in that exercise yard, I just said to myself, no more. Lord, take care of them. What goes around comes around. They'll get what they deserve. And so let me get through this road. in that and moment. And you did that in the quantum world. You would have severed that connection, which is a wave, actual wave connection. Yeah. An erratic, damaging I wave. Felt it. That was coming into your body and growing with every thought. Because the more you think about things, the more they grow. You give them more energy. And you severed that. You cut that. And you gave you the chance to get rid of that toxic thought because and that pain and deal with it and transform it okay. you, you can't reconceptualize until you've forgiven well I'll tell you what you did yeah, it, it was incredible. like a switch and I wow. could just feel right there I thought wow, wow. that felt alright and I never went back and these small negative thoughts kept coming back and I'd push them away until I'd forgiven them wholeheartedly I never went back there and I just said that's behind me and I never gave them one more second of my thoughts after that from then on, it was about getting you through the stroke. You said something critical. Yeah. You said you never gave them one more second of your thoughts. Yeah. So when you live in bitterness and anger and hatred, we are giving our quality, meaningful energy that God has given us, and we're giving it over to evil, basically. Okay. And keeping the evil alive. Okay. But by you cutting off, you actually conquered evil. And that's the impact of that we know in the quantum, from quantum physics, that we don't even realize that just one act of, of good, like you did, yeah transforms like nations you know you don't know what your what your one decision made different the difference that that made it yeah. would have been massive and yeah. it would have had repercussions around the entire planet you know that's the beauty of when we do God's stuff yeah you know when we operate yeah. in the in love because yeah. you did you operated in love which couldn't have been no, even hard. remotely easy no it was difficult but I felt I felt the positiveness of it so I knew it was correct and I knew I can't go back so once you have forgiven behold it hold on to it hold on don't, to it don't let it go and move forward. It's, it's like mm. letting go of something you can't control. I had no control of what they were doing. You can't you, you can't get answers to why anything. It's, it's pointless exercise. It's a frustration. You actually just have to live in the now moment and move forward. Exactly. Because the path only exists in your head. And only when you go there can you figure that out. And can, uh, mm. yeah. And, and another thing I wanted to point out was finding happiness in even the smallest thing that happened in prison, like fooling around with each other and whatever, brought hope. And Connection with people. Yeah, even though we went through those, it was hell in there, we still had time to fool around. Wow. And uh, there was an old battered guitar there. And I'm a great country music fan. And uh, this, there were several guys that could play the guitar. And the pleasure, there's no radios or TV or anything. And whenever a song was played, the and joy. I, yeah, it was just, it was amazing. And wow. Yeah, we were, and I built up some great friends in there. I mean, and, and it's a friendship when you share those horrors with people, it's a friendship that you don't, it's, um, you, you don't find it anyway. That is, no, it's a bond that is just so yeah. unique. Yeah, <clears throat> and I'll give you a story later. When uh, Just remind me to tell you a story about a car guard. Okay, so okay. now I may have to interrupt you. We may have to do part two of the series because we've gone over time. So I'm going to actually, I'm going to stop us there at this, at this point and I'm going to say that let's do part two if you'd come back and finish sharing your story because I think you have a million more things to say. Is that okay with you, Rusty? Yeah, I do have a million more. It's been amazing, just this first part. I mean, I'm kind of like just thinking, wow, you know, everything that I've spent all my 
30 years of research and I've gone through my own stuff like all of us do but when I hear you saying it's like for me the most exciting thing that I'm seeing because I'm seeing my research like pop 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 here the stories here's the reality here's the I mean you my next person I'm going to be talking about I know this person you know just your, your courage and your your ability to have recognized the greatest gift that God has given us which is access to the wisdom of love you did yeah. that you access the spiritual nature that we have inside of us which I believe the whole point of the mystery of God is to realize the power of the spiritual nature of man and what that means in terms of operating as a human and you did yeah. that and that's something that I can't I just take my hat off to you I mean Thank it's like you. I feel transformed just listening to you and I believe that the listeners have experienced the same thing so please will you come back and finish the story for us because that was just Absolutely. outstanding Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us today Thanks. and it's been amazing Thank you for joining us today This is Dr. Caroline Leaf and don't forget to tune into part two with Rusty and this incredible story.